eighth grade class. She teaches in such a manner that only one third of the class can begin to understand. Then she lets the two thirds of the class that has no idea what she is talking about go and devotes time to helping the one third to understand. This is done intentionally by design. How would you respond if you were a parent of one of those students of the two-third that did not understand? Scott Pearson has done his research and is invited to share his research with a large group of people. His company flies him to Germany with Darlene, all expenses paid, with three days tacked to the end to relax and do some sightseeing. Again, everything paid. As he presents his research, he does it in a manner that only half of those present can understand. The rest have no idea what he is talking about. The 50% in the dark walk off. And Scott takes time to explain to the rest in detail concerning his research. What would be your take on Scott if you were his boss? In essence, Jesus was Karen and Scott. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark. Chapter 4, reading together verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 4, <clears throat> 1 through 20. <clears throat> and as we read the passage, keep in mind the flow of Mark 1, 4 through 34. We're actually reading 1 through 20. But he's teaching the crowd through parables in verses 1 through 9. And then in 10 through 34, he's training the 12 and others around him. The rest of the crowd is gone. He devotes himself to a few people. He explains the parable of the sower. He shares instruction through a lamp. He gives a parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. The lamp, the growing seed, and the mustard seed build upon the parable of the sower. Mark 4, 1 through 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in, sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow the seed. As he was gathering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it all. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seeds fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 50, or even a hundred times. He who has ears, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seen, but never perceived, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. 
though you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, 30, 60, or even a Thank you, Jeff. Let's go back to verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. The parable concerning the sower was shared with the audience in general, you know, people that were at the lake. But we find there's a change in verse 10. When he was alone, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parables, and he told them. So he is speaking to the 12, plus a few other people. Those that heard the parable are not present at the present time. And there's a clear emphasis that he wants the 12 and those around him to understand. Those on the outside would not understand because he spoke in parables. Notice he says in verse 11, he told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now he makes a very clear statement. Speaking to the twelve and others around him, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. That means to perceive, to ascertain by examination, to mark, to discern, to resolve, to conclude. So Jesus is saying very clearly that the twelve can conclude. The twelve can discern. The twelve have an understanding concerning the secret of the kingdom of God because the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to them. Now my question is, what has been given to the twelve and to the others around him? Obviously the text clearly says the secret of the kingdom of God. My next question is, what is the secret of the kingdom of God? Has been given to the twelve, to those who are around them. They apparently understood it. They grasp it. Let's go back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee 
proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So here we find Jesus is speaking. He's proclaiming the good news of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near involves the gospel about Jesus Christ. And if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 1 of Mark, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then you look at verse 2. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And then in verse 9, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth. The good news is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The way was prepared for Jesus. In verse 9, he came, and then he proclaimed the good news about God. So who is he proclaiming good news about? He's proclaiming good news about himself. As you look at chapter 1, and then you go over to chapter 4, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The secret of the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ. who has been given, the twelve could conclude that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He was the Son of God. He was unique. He was the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. He was the one who was able to resist Satan. He was the one who proclaimed the good news. He was the one who taught with authority. He was the one who cast out demons. He was the one who healed brother, Peter's brother, mother-in-law. He healed various diseases. He was the one who communicated to his father. He was the one who preached in the synagogues. Jesus says the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The gospel about Jesus Christ. Christ came and then Christ taught the good news of God. He taught about himself. Jesus is the secret to the kingdom of God. The apostles grasped that. Is that why they were willing to die for him later? Apparently those others that were close to him were grasping that he is the secret of the kingdom of God. And I trust today with more revelation than they had even in that day that we grasp that Jesus is a secret of the kingdom of God. And in light of that, if he is a secret to the kingdom of God, that means we can lay aside so many other things that we pursue. The twelve were willing to die for Christ later in their life. According to historical record, John was the only one who would have died a natural death. The other 11 apostles would have died because of their stand for Christ, because they knew who he was. He was the secret of the kingdom of God. Now bring that over to our day and age today, where we have the secret of the kingdom of God, we have Jesus Christ. If we have him, 
do we need results in our life? If we have Christ, do we need a certain form of worship or a certain music style? If we have Christ, must our family respond correctly all the time before we can be content? Or do we just desire to glorify Christ as we worship? Do we desire to glorify Him in our day-by-day living? I'm asking a difficult question. I'm not looking for a response. Some of us here may have a mate who is not responsive to God or has never come to Christ. Are we content to have Jesus alone? Is he sufficient? Some of us here may have children that are not responsive to God as we would desire. Is Jesus alone sufficient? Or must we have our child responsive before we'll be content? Some of you go to school, and if you stand at all for Jesus Christ, you will be made fun of. Are you willing to be made fun of because you have Jesus as a secret of the kingdom of God? Some of us face physical trials, and we don't seem to get fixed. Are we content to have Jesus and Jesus alone? as a secret of the kingdom of God. The twelve were willing to forsake all because they had Jesus. As Mark wrote this to the believers in Rome who were being persecuted for their faith, they would have received tremendous encouragement because they would get an idea, a fuller idea that Jesus is a secret to the kingdom of God. He is who he claimed to be. If we die for him, that's okay. Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's the secret to the kingdom of God. And we want to sing about him as we sing in Christ alone. As we sing in Christ alone, think about the fact that the twelve knew the secret of the kingdom of God. It had been given to them the secret being Christ. Those on the outside would not have grasped that, but they did, and we today have Christ also, in Christ alone. As we go on, I would pose a question. In light of Christ being the secret of the kingdom of God, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? If not, why not trust him today? If you do have a relationship, is he alone? sufficient. As I minister God's word, it seems like God many times gives me opportunities to apply what I speak on very quickly. And in light of some things I faced this week, I said to the Lord last night, I guess you're giving me an opportunity to see that Jesus alone is sufficient in the midst of life. And the one who says you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God also says, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. 
Verse 12 is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 6. When there's a quote from the Old Testament in the New Testament, it's often vital that you grasp the context of what is taking place in the Old Testament book. In Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10, he said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. The context of Isaiah chapter 6 is Isaiah's ministry to people who were hard. They were proud. They were steeped in unbelief. If you go back to Isaiah 6 and verse, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2, Isaiah is writing, the Lord is speaking. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master. The donkey is owner's manger, but Israel does not know. Does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken, O Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Skip down to verse 12 of chapter 1. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me, New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. And he goes on to describe the hard-heartedness of Israel. The quote in Isaiah 6 comes after God revealing his holiness to Isaiah Isaiah being part of a group of people that were rebellious against God, the nation of Israel. Back to chapter 6 of Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with thongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send 
me. It's immediately after that, in verse 9, that the Lord says, Isaiah, you're going to go to a people who will hear you, but they will not understand. They'll see, but they won't perceive because their heart is calloused. Their ears are dull. Their eyes are closed. They will not turn, nor will they be healed. Now also in the context of Isaiah, in Isaiah 7, we find that the sign of Emmanuel is being given. In Isaiah 7, it says, Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. The sign of Emmanuel in chapter 7 is to confirm the hard-heartedness, the unbelief, of the Jews that was mentioned in Isaiah chapter 1. So we have a group of hardened people who are not responding, will not respond to the message of Isaiah. Isaiah goes to minister to them in the context of seeing God's holiness. But Isaiah says also, the sign of Emmanuel is to confirm the fact that they will not repent. In Mark chapter 4, what do we have? We have a group, back to Mark chapter 4, we have a group of hardened people. In Mark 2, 6 and 7, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In verse 24 of Mark 2, the Pharisees said to him, "Look, why are they doing what is yeah, why are they doing what is law, unlawful on the Sabbath?" In chapter 3, verse 6, the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And then also in chapter 3, in verse 22, the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem said, "He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. The presence of Jesus in Mark 4 confirms the unbelief of the religious people and the religious leaders. In fact, he speaks in parables so that they will not perceive and will not understand. Just as Isaiah was dealing with a hard-hearted people, Jesus is dealing with hard-hearted religious leaders. Just as Isaiah was called to minister, Christ came to minister. And just as Isaiah spoke to people that God had hardened and they had also chosen to be hard, Jesus is ministering to a people who have hard hearts. Just as Emmanuel in Isaiah chapter 7 was a sign of their hardness, 
Jesus is a sign of the hardness of the Pharisees and the teachers. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Seeing is to have the faculty of sight. But they're never perceiving. They're not understanding. They're not marking. They're not observing. They're not being admitted to witness. They're not being admitted into the more immediate presence of God. They're not going to train, attain a true knowledge of Christ. Jesus had spoken the parable in verses 1 through 9 to a large group of people. They would see but they would never perceive. They would not grasp that Jesus was the secret of the kingdom of God. They would hear, but they would never understand. They would never comprehend thoroughly. They would never perceive clearly. Why? Because they might turn around and be converted. They might be brought back into a relationship with God. They might turn from trusting in themselves. And what? Be forgiven. If there's going to be forgiveness, there has to be sin. Missing the very point of life of a relationship with God. Jesus is speaking. He said, I'm speaking to you 12 and a few others around him in parables. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. You have perceived, you've comprehended, you've understood who I am. You're beginning to understand who I am. But to those on the outside, I speak in parables so that they might see but never perceive they might hear but never understand. Otherwise, they might turn and be converted. There's a tension here. Doesn't Christ want these people to come to faith? Why will they never perceive? There's a tension between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. <clears throat> Mark does not relieve that tension. He holds them side by side. Yes, these people are going to see, but they'll never perceive. They'll hear, but they'll never understand. They won't turn. They won't be converted. Why? Because Jesus spoke in parables so that they would not understand. Or perceive, rather, and understand. In Isaiah 6, the Lord sent his prophet to a people who would not respond Isaiah sending his, or God sends Isaiah to the people of Israel. And at the beginning of the book, he says they're hard. They will not repent. 
because they have chosen and I have hardened. The tension is evident in Isaiah's hardness, which is attributed to his own choice, but also to God's will. It is evident in this parable where the seed is sown and the farmer sows some seed in good ground, other seed he sows that will not produce in any way, shape, or form. There's that tension between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. That tension continues in Mark's reflection on Mark, or as Mark shares concerning Judas and Judas betraying Christ. Judas chose to do that, but at the same time it says it was predetermined that Judas would do that. We're dealing with a God that cannot be fully grasped and understood. First of all, he says the secret of the kingdom of God. Jesus has been given to you to the twelve and others around him. He's present. But to those in the outside, everything is said in parables that they will see but never perceive, hear but never understand. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. You say, Pastor, explain more. I don't quite get it. Paul says in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We worship a God who has revealed himself in Christ, the secret of the kingdom of God. But he is also the one who said some people will see but never perceive, hear and never understand. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. I cannot fully grasp how Mark can hold up the sovereignty of God and the free will of man side by side and say both are true. I can't grasp that. Paul didn't grasp that because after a section dealing with God's sovereignty in Romans 9 through 11, that's what he said, what I read earlier. You can't grasp God fully. Are we willing to trust a God whom we can't always fully grasp? Are we willing to trust in the one who is the secret of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ? And let that be sufficient.
When we can't explain God, will we trust him? When we don't have answers, will we trust Jesus? Because he's a secret of the kingdom of God. Or do we demand an explanation and understand God fully before we'll trust him? Will we trust him even when we don't have all the answers? The twelve were not grasping everything because in verse 13 he says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? They weren't fully grasping him. But Christ continued to work in their lives. They continued to trust him. Will you trust in the God this week? Maybe you can't fully explain, but who has revealed himself in the person of Christ and Christ being sufficient.